Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wopolinik. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broke the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. Welcome, everyone, to Nutri-IQ Radio. Uh, as always, we're going to be talking about food, fitness, and feeling good. My name is Steve Opolinik. I'm your special guest host for this week uh, with my buddy, Sean Herr. And we're here to do a special collaboration of both of our podcasts. So I'm leading the introduction on his end, and you're about to hear from him right now. Yeah, so I'll take it from there. Welcome also to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast, which is all about talking with people who have managed to break the chains that holding them down in life and smash it from there. I think that's roughly the intro. I like that. Is it, is I winged that, it a little bit. Adding some flair from across the sea was smash it. So I like it. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Right, cool. So uh, yeah, the way this guest dual kind of show has come about was last week a show came out in the UK on the BBC with Freddie Flintoff who is a cricketer or used to be a cricketer a very famous one in England and it was about him living with bulimia for the past 20 years or something and I actually already had scheduled for Nutri-IQ Radio, planned to talk about my own history with disordered eating, which came about when I was a personal trainer. And I wanted to talk about it to let other men know that this is a thing that happens. It's not something to be ashamed of. And the fact that the documentary came out last week seemed like a good time to pull it forward and talk about it now while it's on people's minds. And then at the same time for today, me and Steve already had this time scheduled in to talk about similar but different things. Uh, We were going to do a different topic on talking about how nutrition affects your mental health, I think was the initial plan, was it? Yeah, initially we were going to look at nutrition and, and how it's connected and digestive health, how it's connected to mental health. and, and Yeah, yeah. And I think it fits yeah. with exactly what, what you're saying anyways, right? So I think that's yeah. why we came together and uh, felt like we could do a really good conversation about it. Yeah. Yeah, because like we were just saying before we started recording, and like we said in the past couple of days, uh, I've struggled with things in the past that I've now managed to overcome really, and Steve has as well. And so the stars kind of just aligned with all of that timing. The documentary coming out, me having it lined up, uh, us already having time scheduled in. And so here we are. We also thought it'd be pretty cool to cross over on each other's intros. Um, so I guess we just like go from here. Like old school comics where, where you have like special guest stars or, <laughs> yeah, you know, there were a couple of times where DC Comics and, and uh, Marvel Comics came together and had an all out issue and 
you know, Captain America against Superman and all this stuff too. So I feel like this is a, a good crossover for us, uh, especially yeah. because we, we're so aligned in, in how we talk about things and, and our approach to it. And, yeah. you know, you were on uh, Break the Chains Fund, the Flame podcast, and I was on your podcast before. And I feel like we had some really good conversations about um, health, mental health, nutrition, and then just aspects of, of societal kind of confines that come into play with, with all that fun stuff. So yeah, good, uh, good conversation. Yeah. yeah, everyone loves the crossover episode. In a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away, our only hope is to break the chains and find our flame. I guess what, so, what I'll say, so you've been open about your, your struggles with disordered eating. Um, and so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of do an introduction on mine because I've talked about it on, on my podcast a little bit. But um, so when I was younger, you know, basically my concept was I had a really hard time dealing with my emotions. When I was really upset or um, depressed or anxious, I would often turn to food and um felt awesome in that moment to, to eat a bunch of pizza or a bunch of, you know, Kit Kats were my jam. I like Kit Kats and Oreo cookies. And, you know, it really got to a point where it, it was beyond even just waiting for my emotions to like avoid them. It was just a habit and routine. And so, you know, I found myself at 230 pounds at one point, um, way before I even found exercise, right? So none of, none of that was really muscle. And, um, and so uh, I, I just kept constantly going to food to try to solve my issues. And I think, you know, when you talk about disordered eating, you know, my, my specific diagnosis was emotional overeating disorder, which just really means that I turned to overeating in times of feeling emotional stress and, and concern, which I think is not uncommon for a lot of people out there, especially yeah. now with COVID and, and things of that nature. And so, you know, seeing that how we have that correlation going, I think this will be a really good conversation to talk about different aspects and topics. So, Yeah, what you were saying there about being related to your sort of emotions and that was when you would start overeating to try and cope with things like loneliness things like that uh, stress that's something that freddie talked about in the documentary as well he was saying well again neutral iq listeners might already know but when he sort of came to popularity or stardom i guess in the papers for his sport because um, he was he was very good he was quite a big guy you know, he was a, a little bit heavier set than the other players and things like that. And as papers and magazines do, because they're awful, they like drilled him on it. Yeah. You know, they were calling him fat in the papers. They were saying, oh, you know, is he, did he fumble that because he, you know, is too big and stuff like that. And he was saying, you know, that obviously got to him and he wanted to, you know, get smaller to fit in more with the other players and so that the papers couldn't say things like that anymore. And he started throwing up after he ate and started exercising more as well. 
and that just then snowballed into full-blown bulimia, which for anyone listening that doesn't know, bulimia isn't just being sick after you right. eat. It's um, it's purging is the word, and that could be purging by throwing the food back up or purging the calories kind of on the other end through exercise. And so at one point in the documentary, he actually said, you know, he exercises now nine or 10 times a week. And there's only seven days in a week. So that's a lot. And he, he even then like, didn't realize that that was a lot of exercise and that that is part of the bulimia that he, you know, is still struggling with. But before we get more into that anyway, uh, just taking on the emotional side because that was the same for me. So a brief overview for what happened with me was I obviously being a personal trainer, there's kind of a lot of pressures to look the part, you know, you, you, nobody wants to be told what to do by a fat PT is kind of the, the thing you are told or led to believe, you know? And so I was never super athletic or especially in comparison to other members of the team. And at one point I thought, you know what? I'm going to get leaner. I'm going to see my abs again. And that'd be cool. So I started training with one of the other coaches from a different gym. He was sending me spreadsheets for what I should eat day to day. And I got into that, you know, that kind of routine of measuring every single thing out to the gram and cooking that, only having that. And that was the plan. And basically, I then didn't want to be that strict. And that led me through one reason or another towards binge eating to counteract how strict that was. And I was also living alone at the time. And I think that did have a big impact because living alone, I didn't get to see my family a lot for months and months and didn't really have any friends outside of work. And I think that also played a part in it for me, the loneliness. So it's been interesting listening to Freddie talk about that and the emotional side. And obviously you talking about your emotional sort of initial aspect of it and realizing that, you know, mine was as well. And a lot of the time we talk about emotional eating and that leading to overeating. And it's hard to give people examples or for people to kind of, visualize it or understand it but that's three examples right there you know yeah i mean i think i think it's hard in the sense well a couple things that you said that i i feel like really stick out with what we're talking about is this concept of you know going to be trained uh, by someone they need to look the part and in reality it's if you look at some of the 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 best coaches in any kind of athletic um situation is that yeah you got some coaches that look the part who are, who are massive or or leaned and leaned out and kind of just like brad pitt looking motherfuckers right and and so you're like oh those, they're probably pretty good but if you look at like a lot of strength coaches too and and yeah. people who work with these you know athletes like it's not necessarily that you have to be super lean it's just knowing how to build and, and, yeah. and collaborating and get the best out of the person that you're working with. And I think there is a lot of pressure and society wise to look a certain way, depending on um, 
what jobs you have or what gender you are or gender you identify as is is this concept of oh you know you should look this way or you should replicate what people look like like brad pitt in his heyday you should look like that if you're a man or or you know be smaller and you know, not heavier set and you know we see it in all different kinds of expectations of society so that's one component right and then you add to it um you're you're not comparing yourself to yourself you're comparing yourself to other metrics that just don't add up you and i are yeah. never going to look exactly the same no matter how hard we train because we're different yeah. no no you know i could work my ass off and not, never look like brad pitt but you know i already kind of do so no big deal there but um <laughs> but but that's kind of the thing is like i think sometimes we have these constructs in our mind of, of what fitness looks like without really spending time figuring out what fitness looks like for us as individuals. Um, and then, you know, like you're saying is being so restrictive in how you eat only leads to that eventual binge of that or, or that lapse or relapse back to like a, a disorder type of eating because, you know, sometimes if you're too rigid, you don't bend, you're not flexible, you just snap and that's yeah. One of the things that would happen to me every time I tried to diet and, and get away from it, I, well, one, I had no idea what, <laughs> what I was doing. I would <laughs> go like, oh, fad diets, let's let's check it out, right? Like, oh, this is how people are telling me I should eat. Uh, I'm going to eat uh, the Atkins diet or I'm going to eat, you know, I need, uh, I need to eat salads or, you know, never really paying attention to them. My salads would always have like five cups of salad dressing on top of it and like a chunk of uh, bread on the side that was just like half the loaf of a bread. I'm like, oh, it's bread and salad. It's good, you know. Uh, I know even, I think we talked one time on the the podcast too, is even this concept of what it is to lose weight and and to be healthy. They're so skewed because, you know, when I talk to, so I'm a a mental health counselor. And so you know that, but for your listeners, they might not know that. Um, So when I talk with with clients, a lot of times, and we talk about uh, healthy diet and nutrition and things of that nature, a lot of times they're saying, no, 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 I I eat really healthy. Um, I have a salad. Salad in and of itself is not, not the representation of what healthy eating looks like. And so we have to have a conversation and then, inevitably the same thing, the same process that I'm sure you've gone through in your life and I've gone through with like, okay, what is the diet? What is the, the right diet? Is it paleo? Is it, you know, carnivore diet? Is it, um, you know, any of these fad diet, keto diet, like all that stuff that's out there, uh, Weight Watchers, all that stuff. There's so much of it out there too, that you get lost and then you're trying to get back on track with something. You reach for that a lot of those diets are restrictive. I know we've talked about that before. And then mm-hmm. you do it for a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two, and then you just snap because it's too much. I, I can't hold on to this, this shift because I haven't eased myself into healthy eating. I've just kind of tried to force it. Yeah. Yeah. So then you mentioned there where you were talking about, you know, the pressures to look like Brad Pitt or look a certain way, basically get bigger a lot of the time if you're a guy or to get smaller if you're a girl. I don't know how many people listening, you know, will have heard of this term. I don't think it's a recognized kind of medical term, but for men and something that 
you know, comes up all the time when guys start to go to the gym is this idea of bigorexia. Yeah, bigger. So, I don't yeah. think that's I, medical, but uh, yeah. No, I don't think it's medical, but that's basically, <laughs> yeah, this idea that, you know, once you start going to the gym and once you start gaining muscle and once you start seeing yourself get a little bit bigger, your mind kind of runs away with it. And your self-image, like with a lot of, you know, fully fledged eating disorders, your self-image of what you see in the mirror doesn't fully reflect what is actually in the mirror or what other people see, you know, because you're getting bigger, you're gaining muscle, you are gaining size, but you never feel big enough. You never feel like you have gotten that much bigger. And that in itself for a lot of guys is, again, it's, you know, it's not a fully medical term, bigorexia, but it's the same kind of, you know, um, What's the word I'm looking for? The same kind of perspective from the individual. You know, what I see isn't what is actually going on and things are skewed in how I'm looking at it. Um, somebody on the show actually mentioned that as well. And I know I was like that when I was at uni. You know, I I could never get big enough. I always had to keep lifting more or lifting heavier or trying to eat the right way to get to that size and I think, you know, the statistics on it that they showed in the in the documentary was that one in four people with eating disorders are male. And where eating disorders are often seen as a, a female thing, you know, girls get eating disorders. So that in itself kind of gives guys that, not so much pressure, but that feeling like they can't talk about it or that they shouldn't be struggling with it. That's part of the issue but one in four are still a lot of people yeah you know it's it's not i mean i mean a, a gals thing bigorexia is is uh, not the clinical term but there is a clinical term that replicates this called body dysmorphia and yeah the the concept like you're saying is looking in the mirror and, and, and seeing or not always the mirror too but like just looking at self and seeing something different than um what other people see and i think and it's different for each person is, is an interesting thing, right? Because um, bigorexia is a, is a type of body dysmorphia, right? The, the concept is you see a flaw in your body that other people can't see and you, you hyper-focus and you perseverate on that flaw and try to fix it no matter what. So for some people, it's getting bigger, right? Getting that Brad Pitt muscle building. For me, it was like leaning out right? I'd always kind of look in the mirror at different angles and, and struggle like, oh man, I feel, I still feel like I, I, I was where I was obese and, you know, I had a gut and, and things of that nature. Uh, other people, maybe a nose, it may be mm-hmm. like small hands and maybe whatever it is, it, it's just a concept of flaw that you see in that hyper focus on it. And I think a lot of that stuff too is self-esteem and lack of control and really trying to fixate it. A lot of these eating disorders come from those kind of things where you don't feel in control. And so you reach outside of yourself to find, try to establish some control. But in reality, what you're doing is you're kind of making it worse because you're avoiding, you know, the inherent thing that that's making you do that. And I, I think we see it with a bunch of, you know, you were talking about the documentary, he was feeling like he had no control over the perception of what the media was saying about him. So he tried to take control by exercise and, and diet and routine like that, which is not 
initially not inherently bad, except that it became yeah. obsessive and it became exaggerated. We see it with addictions, you know, this eating disorders or food addictions um, or addictive behavioral addictions that happen. So they're very akin to drug addictions or, or anything of that nature, um, you know, shopping addictions or technology addictions, same kind of concept is, is feeling like it, it, it does something for you in that moment. And then, okay, that helps, let's keep going. And um, I think with bigorexia, it's kind of like, oh, the more I go, I have to I have to solve this issue and I'm, I'm in control because I'm putting the effort in, I'm still doing it, but you'll never get yeah. to that, that high level that you want to be because you're always comparing it to something different. Yeah. There's always somebody else that's bigger than you that you now need to be bigger than or something like that. Yeah. Something that they mentioned in the show, uh, just off something you mentioned there, um lost it oh yeah uh, freddie was talking about how it was a control thing for him you know a lot of the time he felt like well i can't control any of that but i can control this i can control when i be sick and obviously when you say that out loud it's like that's not normal but it's that thing of you know he said it then went into i was doing it and things got better and so in his mind that then associated those two things yeah you know i'm being sick after i eat and these things are getting better so that probably has something to do with that and i realized as i was listening to that that i had the same idea with what i was doing uh, when i was a pt so i was eating in this way and I was being really structured and, you know, I let my clients know that I was working with one of the other coaches and, you know, the plan was to get leaner. I was getting up at earlier, like 6am earlier than I was before getting into the gym to do fasted cardio, which we now know is useless. Like doesn't really make a difference, but that was the thing at that time. Yeah. So I was getting up and early to do fasted cardio. I was being really strict on my diet. I was sticking to the plan. When in reality, I was going home and making this like hugely calorific meal every time of, it was basically porridge, but I made it with coconut milk, like the tinned coconut milk. So that is loads of calories. And then I'd load it up with cashew nuts and raisins. So I don't even know how much it would have been, but it was a lot. And I knew it was a lot. But what happened for me was I would do that and then I would see my clients, I'd see the other people in the gym and they'd comment that I was getting leaner. So in my head, I then went, all right, well, I can follow this strict stuff that Josh has given me, but I can still binge out in the evening and still get results. Awesome. Right. When, you know, now the way we coach people with Nutri IQ is you can do the good stuff. I mean, not being that restrictive anyway, but you can do the nutritious stuff and then have the treats and stuff. Right. Yeah. And it's all fine. Like it doesn't like no part of it has to be hidden. You can put it all into the same, you know, overarching plan and still get results. So like I say, I noticed for me that there was that thing of this is an ideal what I'm doing. 
but I'm still getting some kind of results. So let's just keep doing it because it seems to be fine. Yeah. It's like, you, find, like you convince yourself you found like this universal kind of loophole that will give you everything you want. And yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, it's not the best, but there's this loophole. I'll still get results and I still eat how I want to. Um, and so you, you kind of connect to that. And then in, in reality, it's, it's, you know, a lot of times it's just like a small period of time that that actually works because that's not even bringing into the account of the fact that you shouldn't be, you know, throwing up so much <laughs> because there's, you know, medical things that go wrong with that. Um, yeah. And then two, it's just, it's, you know, the tolerance and the resilience isn't being built to achieve a goal. It's like a, a cheap way to get where you want to be. Um, but it feels really like it is achieving something in those moments at, at the beginning of it. And that's why it keeps happening. Cause you're like, I am getting something out of this. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep going. With it. Let's see where it goes. And then by the yeah. time you get to a point where you start realizing like, okay, this is going in a, a really bad way. It's hard yeah. to break that cycle because you've become reliant on it. I mean, yeah. I was, you know, I was, some of the worst parts was we would get pizza. We had this thing where every Friday night we would get pizza, uh, my family. Um, and it was, we would do it during Lent too, because my family is uh, Christian and religious. And so, we would have no meat. So we'd get pizza, like cheese pizza or veggie pizza. Mm. Uh, my dad would always get fish and French fries. And, um, and so we w I would eat a normal amount when everyone was there. And then when they went and watched TV, I would take a couple slices of pizza and maybe some leftover French fries and you go in the, go outside or go in the basement. Oh, I have to go get something and just kind yeah. of pinch down there because I knew it, I knew what would happen but in that moment like I didn't want people to see what I was doing because again yeah. it's well I know you know I know that it's wrong so I, I'm kind of being shameful in that sense of finding a different yeah. way to do it and achieve that and I think looking back at that makes me really sad um, because I know my family and I know the people around me who, who would have been really supportive but Again, I thought I had that loophole. I thought, oh, they, you know, as long as they don't know, I'll get to where I want to be. Um, yeah. But all, all that stuff was just, you know, it was it was very just temporary and not really the long-term generative kind of concept that, that really, when you take a step back at nutrition and exercise is what you're looking for. That generative yeah. kind of progressive uh, level of where you want to be. Yeah, and I had the... I have the same kind of thing and I think it's a, a kind of an identifying feature if you like of a lot of disordered eating and that it becomes secretive yeah definitely so you know we know with a lot of people obviously with the bulimia for example like Freddie Flintoff uh trying to hide being sick for example uh with yourself then it was hiding that you were eating the extra pizza and the fries and I had the same thing as well because again i wanted to look like i was doing everything right and look like i was kind of living or practicing what i was preaching with my clients so you know i would often go to aldi and i was just loving these flapjacks because they were so like syrupy and moist 
and not what I was supposed to be having. (laughs) Yeah, and they were amazing. So I would get those while I got my shopping of all the clean stuff from a plan with Josh. And then I would sit in the car and eat like one or two of those, just hoping that nobody from the gym walked past the car and saw me and think, you know, what were you doing? I thought you were on this plan with Josh. And, and again, like then I would think about when I got home, what I was going to do because there was nobody there and how I was going to, you know, I would play it out in my head with the whole process of, you know, using the tin opener to open up the tin of uh, coconut oil, use my protein shaker to mix it all up because it comes out in a kind of weird consistency. And I would play through all of that in my head before I did it. And then like, but then like you say, it was a big part of it was that nobody was there. Like I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want anybody to think that I was kind of a, a bad PT because I wasn't doing those right things. Like I say, that secret eating, that, well, a lot of people call it secret eating, is often a feature with these things. Yeah, and, there, and there's also that ritual, ritualization. I can't speak ritualization of uh of that process process of of thinking about it and like okay and then i'm gonna do this and and so it, yeah. it, it's not like it's just one thing during the course of the day it becomes a focus of of the whole day like how do i get this yeah. up how do i make sure no one sees me how do i oh i can't wait until that alone time where i can do this and, and kind of feast on this and be alone and be in my glory of how that feels to consume that much and I mean, I think that's one aspect, too, of why food can do this, uh, replicate this stuff is because food, you know, kind of tying into what originally you and I had planned is like food is loaded with these amino acids that build neurotransmitters in our brain that make us feel good or, or calm us down or give us a sense of reward. And I think sometimes like these fatty foods do that, uh, cheeses mm-hmm. do that. Uh, glutinous foods do that like carbs in general do that they they help make serotonin which is yeah. that, you know that feel good kind of uh, chemical that we talked about with depression which is missing uh they, they make gaba which calms our body down from that anxious response and they make dopamine which is that reward system like cheese is a big one dairy is a big one with that reward system dairy mm. and sugar because um that's hard to come off of, as, as you can you can tell from the dopamine we we had gotten through, through the eating is you know people always tell me if they're talk, trying to make a, a change in diet not that I really do too much weight loss conversations I do talk about you know inflammation in the body with people and how it affects mental health and sometimes yeah. elimination diets to see if something they're eating is kind of offsetting anxiety and depression. And a couple of times people were like, yeah, I tried that. This I did re- feel really good for two weeks. I usually give them like one to two weeks to try to see. And then we try something else. Hey, I felt good for two weeks. I'm like, okay, so are you trying to keep on that? No, no, no. I, you know, it's cheese, man. It's cheese. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> but if it's making yeah. you feel like shit, like probably you should. But that's the thing. It's like, they don't understand why dairy can be so hard or why sugar is so hard is it's not just how it tastes, which is also really good. Like I don't eat yeah. cheese because dairy upsets my stomach, but I love cheese. Um, like if I if I could eat it without 
being watched or if I could not have that, I would probably eat a ton more cheese than I ever had because I miss it. But I know how it makes me feel. And I also know that's a slippery slope for me. If I start eating cheese again, I'm going to want cheese more because of the dopamine response. Right? Uh, not just the taste, it's, it's what it does to the brain chemistry. Same with sugar, right? There are people who can kind of kick, kick sugar, uh, added sugar, and, and then they, the minute they have it again, it, it starts that recycle. Of yeah. things, right? And not that you need to completely kick sugar out, but I'm saying for some people, it's an, it's an important thing to look into to pay attention to, at least, you know, um, given a, an individual kind of background. Um, yeah. But I think that's something that, that also feeds into what we're talking about is it's the ritual, the, the outcome, but also what the, this food we're eating, like you, you seem to always have that like porridge kind of go to, cause that was like, it gave you a lot of probably do dopamine from eating it that way. Um, yeah. And that's something to think about too when we're, we're talking about, okay, we have this, how do we start stepping away from it? It's not as easy as just not doing it. There, there, there is a level of healing that needs to be done to start shifting away. Yeah. And I was about to ask on that, you know, what was your kind of, how did you start to repair your relationship? But just before we get into that, I think it's worth mentioning that that stuff we're talking about there of how the food makes us feel, you know, that combination of sugar and fat. This is something that I actually talked about recently on NutriIQ radio, um, but it would probably be good to recap and for your listeners to hear as well. We often find it really hard to not overeat those processed foods, like the, the flaming Cheetos, the you know the the Reese's pieces whatever it is I'm trying to think of some like really good American examples of things that kind of cross over um yeah, but yeah those foods that basically yeah you get to the bottom of the bag and you're surprised you've already got there you know it's important to know that it's not your fault that you got to the bottom without realizing the food is literally designed to oh, make yeah. that happen it's like a food companies know how your brain works and how all this biochemistry works and how if you if they can create something that basically melts in your mouth and has the right blend of sugar, salt, and fat, it's yeah. just absolutely irresistible. And so if you eat it all, you need to buy more. Like, yeah. you know, that's the way it's made. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, and this goes to, so before we started recording, we, uh, Sean and I were talking and, he was like, well, you got a lot of stuff going on over there in America. And we we're like, yep, it's like every week there's two new things that kind of come up. Um, but this goes beyond just the food industry. But, you know, over here, the, the medical industry, the healthcare industry, all this stuff is big business. And I'm going to get on a small soapbox here and kind of talk about it. And as soon as you start introducing business and money into the equation, it stops being about what it should really be about and and that's like for food it's it's you know a good taste but also health and yeah. uh, energy for the body right it stops mm -hmm. being about that and it starts becoming more about um how we can make money off this and how do we get more things sold and how do we get these uh, addictive things and things so that it sounds like it's a conspiracy theory but you know it's true like 
look at the go down the cereal aisle in any grocery store or any market that you're in and you'll see brand new versions of of cereals with buzzwords that replicate replicate health but really don't mean anything because it's still yeah. cereal right yeah. health and, hey low foods <laughs> yeah and and so it gets your attention but then also you know there are things like chocolate frosted flakes now right where before frosted Frosted flakes were just, you know, it was just corn flakes with sugar and crusted <laughs> pretty much yeah. the general idea. But now they have to have chocolate frosted flakes. You got to add a, a new dynamic and, and yeah. that becomes more appealing and fruity pebbles and all, all this stuff. And I think what you're talking about is like this business aspect and the additives and, and all this stuff is one of the things about processed food that makes it, you know, to me, really un unappealing, besides the fact that half the time we don't know what's in it. I mean, look over here in, in America, we had, you guys have Subway over there? Subway, yeah. Subway, yeah. Um, over here, our Subway bread had like 28 additives to it. And one of those additives was yoga mat material, right? And it was a big deal to get it out of our Subway because everyone was up in arms like, what, what is happening? Like, why is this yeah. chemical to make yoga mats in our, in our bread? Like, yeah, it's just bread. Like we've been doing it for a long time. Right. <laughs> and then it's okay. You, you would look at the UK, you look at some European countries who also have Subway and they would have like 12 things in it and they didn't have yeah. a yoga mat thing. And, yeah. it's, and part of it's because America is so big business that it, yeah. it's like, okay, let's just add a bunch of stuff into it because we want to make it more addictive. We see it with video yeah. games, we see it with TV, we see it with, you know everything but um the food one's really really tough because it is about putting products out there that have no nutritional value and getting people addicted. yeah and on that example just of subway as well even though it is you know a lot of food products are different over here you know there's less sugar in a regular coke over here than there is over there just on the example of subway the, the in ireland last week i think it was their supreme court ruled that subway bread couldn't be classified as bread because there was too much sugar in it yeah and you're like i don't even think sugar is an ingredient for bread like how has that happened <laughs> you know like and it's it's crazy like even though like you say our food standards are tighter and are stricter that still happens and you just you wonder why you know is Obviously, that extra sugar in the bread is going to make it sweeter, is going to make it that bit more tasty, but you can't quite work out why yeah. when you're just eating it. And eventually, somebody has to go, it's because there's a lot of sugar in it, mate, you know? <laughs> you don't even think about it. I mean, I talk to people a lot because uh, working with kids with ADHD, um, nutrition and diet is really important. And not just the sugar content, but, but additives like uh, food coloring and, and things of that process. And, you know, there is a, a concept of, you know, these kids would do better on a, on a more protein-based diet, not like excessively, but like real proteins because they have an amino acid called uh, tyrosine, which produces dopamine, which with ADHD, we know uh, lack of dopamine is lack of attention. Um, so like having more protein-based diets can, can be helpful. Um, but kids generally tend to go for it like carbs, like like I was saying, when I was checking in mm -hmm. with this before, I asked this one kid, oh, how, how are you doing on, you know, like eating healthy? 
It's like, oh, pretty good. I had a bagel for breakfast. I had mac and cheese for lunch, and we we're getting pizza tonight. And I'm like, and what? How is that? What? <laughs> you know, <laughs> in my head. But if I put myself back as me being a kid, I'd be like, yeah, you know, there's some veggies and, and some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's cheese. Um, but I do think that's kind of a kind of a weird dynamic that, that happens a lot too. Is that this concept of just I even lost my train of thought, to be honest, just <laughs> but really, oh, the additives things is right. that like um, food dyes, like you're talking about sugar and things and you'd be surprised what's in it and like sugar, even in milks, like low fat milks and thing, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at, look at some of the stuff that has like food coloring in it that you would never expect to have food coloring in it because it's, it seems like a natural product and it's, mm. it's in a lot of stuff well at least over here it's in a lot of stuff for sure yeah. um, and that stuff directly has an impact on how we feel yeah and it could like you say when you think that would be the natural color it could even be that the, the coloring is added to emphasize the color to make it oh, look yeah. more like you think it should you know um orange but yeah like like <laughs> Have you ever taken oranges and actually blended them? It's way better yeah. than some of the orange juices that are that are out there. But some yeah. orange juices have that in it to make it more orange, or juices especially, right? It's like, oh, it's supposed to be this rich color. Like, no, just give me what the actual juice looks like. It's yeah. Like, it's what I want. Yeah, I, re- want yeah. I remember when I went to Kenya, we got Fanta. There, obviously, it's a drink that's pretty much everywhere. Yeah. And we were all like oh my god this tastes so different like it's so much nicer and it was way more orange and but they told us yeah it tastes different because the stuff in it that is illegal in the uk like <laughs> we don't have it in our food and like you say that's why it was like that there was more stuff in it to make it more orange to make it more yeah. like you think it should be which just isn't needed but um yeah to go back to what I was going to ask you before then. Yeah, sure. You know, to start that process of healing. And I only kind of worked out today, I think, or remembered today, you know, how I kind of sort of flicked that switch and started to get out of what I was doing. How did you start then that process of healing, of getting out of the binge eating? You know, you mentioned you tried a couple of diet approaches and it didn't work. So, you know, what, what came next? Uh, it was a hard, like, I, I think there's, there's no definitive, uh, thing that set me on the path. I think it was a lot of trial and error. And I, I think the biggest thing for me was real awareness as, as to what was happening. I knew that I was doing something that wasn't, um, good. Right. That's why I was doing the secretive eating. That's why I was hiding. Um, yeah. but I think I really didn't start to heal from that until I, got to the, the understanding why that was happening, right? Like, what what was it that was driving it? Because back in the day, I was just like, well, I just don't have any control over my eating. And I like pizza and I like chicken tenders and fries and I like this stuff because it tastes good. So it's just really, you know, I'm just choosing to do it. And so I, I should have that self-control. Um, and then I would do well for a little bit and then snap and, and kind of go back into it and then you know i'd do it one day and it'd be like okay well i already kind of screwed up i ate friday night i had pizza I, weekend screwed so like let me just eat for the weekend and i'll start again monday and then 
oh, there's leftover pizza Monday morning. Let me just eat that so that's out of the way. Oh, now the week screwed up, right? And it's a slippery slope of, of yeah. how to do that. And I think really the healing came apart, came, came to a head for me when I realized why I was eating. I was avoiding my emotions. I wasn't, like we talked about in, in a podcast, I wasn't honoring them. I was kind of avoiding them. I wasn't confronting anything that I needed to. I was living a comfortable life by not dealing with those things. And so I was like, okay, well, if this is connected, like I have to start making some changes. So it, it came, that's when I started exercising a little bit more to, to kind of regulate my nervous system from anxiety or depression. And when mm -hmm. I started challenging myself to do things I originally would stay away from because it was too anxiety provoking, talking to new people, doing really bringing awareness to what I was doing and taking some steps to, to manage that. And then generally what I found was I could start making different choices in food. I could notice, we, you know, people talk about intuitive eating a lot, right? Mm -hmm. But I think you said to me one time when we were talking about it, it was like, yeah, that's great, but it's shit if you don't know what that means. And I think that's yeah. true. It's like people always talk about intuitive eating and how important it is they never give you the skills to do it <laughs> they're yeah. always like just eat intuitively and i've yeah. had clients who've said that you know they went to nutritionists they're like just eat intuitively and she they were like what the fuck does that mean i don't know <laughs> do that. just i can't just yeah. do it but yeah. i think for me it really became about like okay why am i reaching for this other slice am i actually full yeah i'm kind of full is it is it an emotional thing is it looking for comfort like what am i doing here and if and slowly, like, and it's hard to build that. So it, it, it yeah, would yeah. start with like that conversation and I would be like, nope, nope, I, I need this. And I'd eat it. And then after the fact, I'd be like, well, that was really for comfort. All right. So the next time when I approach it the same way, I'm going to try to remember my processing after the fact and bring it to this. And through repetition and that emotional response of like, hey, that actually makes me feel better because I'm having some control where I felt like I had none um it started letting me make that choice more and more and then it slowed mm -hmm. down that what i call the difference between relapse and lapses hey if you eat like shit one day for one meal that's cool that's okay just don't let it completely get you in that cycle of okay the weekend screwed the week screwed because that's that's full-blown like relapse it's okay to have yeah. a lapse it's okay to eat that way mm -hmm. like, to get back on track I think when we talk about this stuff, it's always like relapse first being on the diet completely. And you alluded to it with like how you guys do it uh, with your company of like, hey, you you make healthy choices and you can eat like shit sometimes. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Have that treat, right? Um, treat, but you know, parks and recs, right? treat yourself, right? Um, have that built in because that's going to go longer, a longer way from you than like completely cutting out all treats and then binging the treats later on mm -hmm. so through awareness through processing and really honoring emotions and then making that small conversation come up when i'm doing it to say okay do i really need this and then finding other ways to accomplish that feeling of connection or that feeling of comfort right so reaching yeah. beyond just like okay i don't need food to do it i don't need drugs to do it. i don't need alcohol to do it at this point I can actually do it through meditation or through, you know, 
um, monitored exercise or through coloring or reading or whatever it is that makes me feel really good about myself in that moment. So, yeah. so I'd, I'd flip the script on you and say, like, you said you just remembered recently, right? Like, what was your process like moving forward from that? Well, for me, like I said, I knew that I was sitting in the car, eating the flapjacks, hoping nobody would see me. I knew that I didn't want anybody to see me because I wanted to look like I was doing the right thing. And I think part of it was, like you said, the general awareness that that wasn't good, that I shouldn't be doing this. You know, I think I, I think I spoke to one of the other trainers and said, you know, like I'm doing this, but then I'm going home and I'm just eating loads of food. And over time it got more than just that porridge concoction. Right. You know, it became the porridge concoction plus cheese on toast plus yeah. toast so like cheese on toast and toast <laughs> and, and I, again I would plan the whole thing and I would think I would I'm really particular with my food like people always comment on it and they always comment on how I when I get a meal I kind of analyze it and yeah. make a game plan in my head of how I'm going to tackle it and then I really precisely still doubt and people always laugh like I'll take a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a bit of that and put all that on the fork and then eat that. And then I'll do that with the next bit. People always comment on it, especially if it's kind of a new person seeing or observing me eat for the first time. And they're like, what is this? <laughs> it's, it's always funny. And I'm just like, I don't know. It's just, I just enjoy it like this. And I've literally, while you went to pee, just thought to myself, me and my girlfriend and my dad went out for a meal the other week. And Ellis said to my dad, have you ever noticed how Sean eats? Because she comments on it all the time. She thinks it's fascinating, it's hilarious. <laughs> um, and it just doesn't bother me. It's just what I do. But she said, have you noticed how he eats and like assembles his fork? Like, when did that start? And I've literally just now thought to myself, because of how that particularness and how that uh, ritualization that we were talking about before starts with that disordered eating I've just now thought is that when that started because you know I can't think of a particular time when I didn't eat my food that way and I'm just wondering is that how that started that's just a, a random point of reflection that I might have just stumbled upon oh, yeah, um, that's, that's interesting though. but um yeah, it could, it could be. But yes, like I was saying, I, I'm really particular with uh, how I put things together. And maybe it started then, maybe it didn't. And, you know, I kind of knew that I shouldn't be being as strict as I am with the clean food and then binging out with this other stuff at night, hiding it, hoping nobody sees, um, and then still hoping people think I'm doing the right thing. And I generally knew that things shouldn't be that way. Again, especially being a personal trainer, I think I kind of went a bit meta on myself because my frame of mind was, right, I'm doing this because I don't want other people to see that I'm doing it and I'm hiding it for that reason, but I'm still getting results, which I do want people to see. But then I think something in my brain tripped and went, hold on. If you want to be an example to people, if you want to look like you're doing the right thing, the best way to do that is to stop doing this right. and actually do things 
the right way and I can get out of this. Like that is the best way to serve your clients and to serve those people and to show that, look, I've dealt with this and I've got out of it now because if I can do that, then I can understand their struggles better. Right. And so I think for, for me wanting to be a better coach, that kind of prompted me to get out of it. But then I think there was also a triggering event that eating all of that one night, I did end up making myself sick. Not like in a purging kind of way, just because I ate so much, I threw up. And I think when that happened, I was like, this has gone too far. Like, I can't be doing this if it's if I'm going to the point of eating so much, I throw up. So I think those two things for me are what prompted me to to really start trying to fix it. Right. And so then once I had decided that I was going to, the first thing I did was I emailed Josh the next day and I was like, look, mate, really sorry, but I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't think it's right for me. I've, I think I actually said to him, I've fallen into, you know, some issues with how I'm eating and it doesn't feel right. So we're going to have to call it a day. Um, and he was just like, yeah, mate, that's cool. No worries. And I don't know, I kind of worried that he would then think, oh, we've been a little bitch for just follow the plan. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But that in itself, you know, um, Josh is a brilliant coach for bodybuilders, for girls doing bikini prep and all of that. You know, he's great at what he does and I'm sure he does it in a good way. But for me, just in general, as kind of like a side note on the fitness industry in general, when I joined the PT company I worked for, it was almost like a, and I never did it, but I noticed it happened with most new trainers that joined. It was almost a, like a rite of passage that you either did a bodybuilding show or a bikini show, or you did the same prep, but for a photo shoot. And I just never wanted to do it. You know, when I first joined, I, you know, I was still going big on the big orexia. I still wanted to be Mr. Olympia and all that, but I never quite got to that point. But I noticed that all of the trainers that came in, loads of them ended up doing that and following that process. And if anybody doesn't know a bodybuilder and hasn't witnessed what they have to do to get to that level, yes. it is hard and they are miserable honestly like as much as you might follow them on instagram and it looks all happy and perky and look how lean i am and here's this meal i'm having look at my cheat meal like it all looks on the surface like a lot of social media like it's a really cool thing to do when i saw them day to day coming into work trying to deal with clients who had their own issues you know they they were miserable yeah you know they they again because they were cutting out those carbs they weren't getting that serotonin, you know, that's probably going to be a big part of it, like you were saying. And they were always thinking, right, when's my next meal? What's my next meal? Oh, I've got this two calorie jelly pot for a little snack. I'm so excited for it. And I was like, that's not normal. Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't be looking forward to a two calorie jelly pot. You know what I mean? And they'd be chewing gum all day just to have the feeling of eating something in their mouth. And 
they'd be really cold because they were really lean and you know body fat keeps you warm so they'd have loads of layers on and just all these different things and i just looked at them and thought i don't want to do that and you know be, they do that for the same reasons i ended up doing what i was doing yeah. you know they want to look the past they want to have those photos to show the clients look what i can do i can do this for you and you know it's it's not good and you know, I wanted to mention this stuff about the fitness industry and how, you know, I fell into it one way and they fall into it another way just to kind of let, you know, regular people who aren't in the fitness industry know that if you're struggling with food, we all do. Yeah. Again, like it's our job to have a good relationship with food. And so many people that you follow probably are hiding some not, very good relationships with food um yeah it's important to know that as a just as a regular person yeah. we or all they, or they've gone through that process of, of having to figure out yeah they like they're either yeah. in it or they've gone through it because i i think it's hard to to not have that you know my my side of the family like we've historically had some issues with overeating and being a little bit of uh, heavier uh in nature and you know, we joke around with my brother-in-law because he's a he does powerlifting, and a uh, big guy, like really strong guy, and like I remember I went over there to see my sister and and him, and we had they cooked steak for dinner, and me and my sister were like, boom, destroyed the steak, right? Because like big fans of it. He was like, oh, I'm really struggling to finish the steak, and it, it was interesting to me because. I spent so much of my time looking at my own past and my disordered eating that like sometimes it's hard to see the other side where sometimes people have to eat a ton to get to that level, to get big, like, like we were talking about, or to get stronger or just to put on weight. And so there are, there are all these weird complications that exist um, with it. But I think, you know, the fitness industry and, and historically, deals with the one about like overeating or being heavier and it doesn't show the other side of things too. So I'm glad you brought that up. I really yeah. important message, but I also like to put out there too, that anyone listening, right. Uh, to what we're talking about struggling, try to get to the point where you can reach out and talk to someone about this stuff, because this, that's generally where the, the healing can happen. Talk to a therapist, talk to a loved one, talk to someone in the know, call a hotline, um, because the body dysmorphia and the eating, it, there are those statistics of like one fourth men, three fourths women, I think. Um, but again, it's it's not a stereotype. It's like, and then it doesn't take into not non-binary um, peoples who who where they fall in line. And you know, we talk about bigorexia. A lot of guys have that, but you know, some women have that too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Some guys want to get smaller and some, you know, so it's multi-level, multifaceted. And I think yeah. You know, that's one of the reasons we did this today, I think, is is to put some of this out there and talk about our perspectives because you don't hear it a lot. You don't really no. from fitness industries or, you know, just guys in general don't really talk about uh, eating disorders or body dysmorphia as well. So, yeah. you know, we, I'm hoping that this can be a service to other people too. And they can hear this and, and kind of say, oh, okay. So people have it. There is a, it's not as hidden as, if, cause that's the thing about like behavioral addictions or addictions of any kind is like this lack, lack of connection, this isolation, right? Yeah. Um, 
because you, you're holding a secret and you don't want to share it with people. And so you start isolating yourself and it makes the addictive behaviors bigger. And so yeah. reach out, talk to people, even, even if you can't talk about the stuff right away, like connect with people, try to, try to be with like a group of people or, or some people you can really connect to and, and really push yourself not to take that isolative kind of way. Um, yeah. So it makes it worse. Yeah, no, a few things on, on what you were just saying there. Uh, I had another statistic written down from the show. Uh, so you mentioned again that the one in four people struggling with eating disorders are male, but also 60% of them don't seek professional help. Yeah. So then the majority of people who, the, the majority of men who do struggle don't seek help. And, you know, like you were saying, you know, reach out to someone, reach out to a professional. You can't call a hotline. You know, I would say even just speak to a friend that you trust and just talk it out. You know, it doesn't have to be a serious conversation because, you know, you guys listening have been listening to me and Steve just generally talking about our past and our experiences. And I've realized that maybe my weird way of particular eating has come from my disordered eating in the past. You know, you, you just these things just come out and you though when those pennies drop it can sometimes be enough to make you go oh do you know what i do tend to to do that kind of binge eating or to start overeating when i'm feeling lonely actually now that you know if i reflect back on it and like i say sometimes that's enough just a just a conversation with a friend that you trust um and those realizations you know a tool that i often give to people is a, like a food feelings diary i don't know if you you do anything similar it's you know get it get a notebook you know do it on your phone whatever but it's the same kind of thing steve was talking about before and it's similar to what i do in my head now you know whenever you have something to eat uh you know, just write down how you feel after it do you feel satisfied uh, when you reach for a snack you know write down how am i feeling I'm right now I'm a feeling lonely I'm a feeling tired I'm just bored and if you have things written down you can start to see patterns yeah and then you go oh yeah that penny has dropped I do tend to eat when I'm bored so like you were saying Steve what can I do when I get bored you know maybe I'll read a book maybe I'll um call somebody you know that can work if it's feeling bored or if you're feeling lonely when it happens you know yeah. there's there's all kinds of different ways to yeah i do uh, something similar it's called the food mood diary right yeah. the same thing just kind of monitor and like okay i felt i felt good on that coffee at three o'clock but then by four o'clock i felt like shit oh that coffee yeah. had a bunch of sugar in it so you know just noticing those patterns um oh there was one thing so when you're talking about your particular way of eating um I, i'm working on this article i haven't put out yet but um should be out pretty soon. I just have to find a way to tie the end on. But it's the concept of paying attention to your taste buds to really notice um, when we're talking about the awareness to really notice when you're full. Because I, I watched this documentary on competitive eating um, a while ago. I think it was a 4th of July. It was like the Coney Island kind of hot dog eating competition. And I noticed that a lot of the people who are doing that hot dog eating competition would have something sweet 
near them like skittles or, or some kind of candy or some sugar like uh, soda or something of that nature and i thought it was weird because it's like why would you add stuff to what you're eating you're trying to yeah, yeah. Eat 74 hot dogs and then i listened to this podcast and they were talking a lot about how there's something called palate fatigue in your mouth and so if you eat a lot of the same flavor your body's gonna be like that's enough yeah, yeah. too much right and, and so until you're full and you, you can't physically kind of eat anymore. But so what some of these competitive eater eating people do is they add a new flavor and then their body's like, oh, okay, this is new. We can eat more of that. And so it kind of tricks their body into eating more, even right. though not really listening to that intuitiveness of like, hey, motherfucker, we're full right now. <laughs> like, don't <laughs> eat more food. Um, and so... I, the article I'm writing is, is about that, but also about like, okay, so pay attention to how you're eating, right? If you're eating one thing, like a bunch of the same flavor, and then you add something like a dessert. So if you're having like a lot of salty foods for dinner, and then you add a dessert, you're kind of biohacking your body to eat more food and consume more because it's a different flavor uh, of yeah. your five flavors on the, on the taste book. So just an interesting thing I, I was thinking about when you're talking about constructing your food in a certain way and like different flavor combinations because i think yeah. if, if you do eat a little of each thing uh correctly not correctly because that's implying that you know there's a right way to do it but if yeah. you if you sample a little bit you'll have a, a better an easier time be, with intuitive eating because you can actually listen to your body with how much you're eating instead of biohacking it randomly yeah yeah I re I'm loving how this conversation's going because like I'll talk about something you'll go oh yeah a couple of things what you were saying there and then you'll go off and I'll go oh yeah a couple of things on that um but yeah a couple of things on that um <laughs> so firstly I just thought I love the way when I call it the food feelings diary and you call it the food mood diary and it made me laugh because right at the start when we were talking about how we were going to do each other's intros and I said, NutriQ Radio, where we talk about food, fitness, and feeling good. You were like, God, so much alliteration. That's going to mess <laughs> me up. And on the name, I've gone for food feelings for the alliteration. And you've gone for food mood with the rhyme. Yeah, the rhyme, yeah. That, that, just, that just made me laugh. Um, but yeah, now I'm trying to remember what I wanted to say. Oh, yeah. So where you were talking about how those competitive eaters add in a little bit of sugar to make it easier to then keep eating. That goes back to what we were saying earlier about how food companies develop food products yeah. with those different flavors to make you eat them and to make it easier to keep eating them. Um, but just before I thought of that, something else that people often comment on and uh, with my eating is that I eat really slow. So because I'm so particular with it and because I take time to construct it on my fork, and then I eat it. People are always saying, you take so long to eat. Does it not go cold by the time you're finished? And I'm like, yeah, but that's the best part. And they're like, what? And for me, like, I always say to people, you know, people, often people who are overweight have this kind of, it's almost like a catchphrase of overweight people to say, I just enjoy my food. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like, that's food. That's, that's, that's all of us. Yeah. But I often kind of flip it and I say, but if you're just wolfing it down, how much can you really enjoy it? No, you're not tasting it. You're yeah. Not. And that's, that's the thing that I do. 
because I eat so slow, I say to people, yeah, I like when it gets colder because the flavors actually change as it gets colder. And so it's like I get two or three meals worth of flavor in one meal. And they're like, man, you're weird. (laughs) But it's true, man. Like we could keep talking and we're running out of time, but I do want to. Yeah, you got sessions. I just want to, I do want to speak a little bit on that. It's it's true because, you know, again, like I said, my side of the family historically a little bit overweight. Uh, We also Mm -hmm. just eat like super fast and I have to slow down. My daughter makes fun of me sometimes still. She's like, you're going to beat me. And I've been eating for half an hour already. And I'm like, uh, you're right. I should slow down. I I need to be more mindful. Um, But I do think that's true. It's like, oh yeah, that was good. Are you actually saying that food is good because you slowed down and tasted everything that went into it, the flavor combinations, the spices, the things and how they pair together and how, how they taste? Are you, do you just have the concept of that this should taste good so i'm gonna say i'm gonna wolf it down and say yeah it tastes good because i know it historically does yeah so i think sometimes like you're saying too and that goes into the fullness too it's like it takes a while for your body to register what it's eaten so if you're eating too fast you're most likely gonna overeat because you don't Mm -hmm. feel full yet because that's a process through yeah yeah like you've got sessions to get to i, I think do. yeah 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 so i'll start wrapping up but something i wanted to like i had lined up to kind of just sort of try and finish on uh, we've kind of mentioned it but something that again they mentioned in the show um where the idea for this show came from was freddie when i spoke to people that were still in treatment for their you know bulimia mm-hmm. and again a common theme for them was that it didn't feel like a big enough problem a lot of the time right. to tell somebody. It's like, no, it's fine. Like, I've, I've got it handled. It's okay. And again, I think that's often an issue for us because a lot of people struggle with overeating. You can feel like it's not that big a deal. I don't need help with this. I don't need to talk to anybody. But again, you know, it's, it is. And the fact that it is a common thing means that it's okay to talk to somebody about it. You know, reach out again it could be a professional or it could just be a friend um it could be us you know like if you want to email either of us from this you know sure. you can email me for sean at nutri-iq.net uh would you have like a contact if people wanted to yeah uh steven at the prometheum project.org you can reach yeah. out to me at, at that address it's a long ass email i'm sorry about that but <laughs> yeah no we'll put the we'll put the links for them in our show notes uh, for both podcasts, I'm sure. But yeah, you know, the final slide on the show uh, that I watched last night said, you know, eating disorder experts say if food or training, remember that purging element could be on the training side, mm-hmm. creates anxiety for you. You feel like you have to do it. Or again, if it's binge eating and overeating and you realize after the fact that it's, you know, it, it probably shouldn't be happening if that's where the anxiety thing comes from, just ask for help. You know, don't don't have to go it alone. You can speak to anyone. Um, and yeah, that's where I wanted to kind of finish up. Hopefully the kind of examples we've given and the, the stories we've told of our own, um, you know, kind of resonate with some people. And yeah, people feel able to reach out, especially men, which is kind of the point. Yeah. And I would just add, it's probably one of the strongest things you can ever do uh, as a person 
to admit that you need help and to actually reach out to anyone yeah. who you feel comfortable with. I think oftentimes it's like, well, I don't need help. I, I can do this myself, especially in America, because America's like, oh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make it happen. But I, I think something my grandpa and my, my father taught me really early on was, uh, even though I didn't listen, <laughs> is um, the strongest thing you can do is admit when, when you don't have the answers and reach yeah. out for that help and that connection. So hopefully this, this has been helpful for some of you out there. Reach out to us, reach out to loved ones, whoever you need, and uh, take that step. Yeah. Yeah. Like I say, a funny, a funny thing on, you know, sort of men reaching out and opening up is uh, last night when I put the story on my Instagram story saying that we were going to be recording this today, what it was going to be about, you know, I was going to be opening up about my disorder and that I haven't really talked about before. You know, I got a few responses, a few emojis, senses, replies to those stories. And they were all from women. You know, there's, there's never, there never seems to be guys when you're trying to talk to you guys saying, oh yeah, you know, well done for opening up. Um, and I watched a, a TED talk with, I can't remember his name now, but it's the main guy from uh, Jane the Virgin. I don't know if you've ever seen it, um, but he did, you know, he does a lot about this kind of stuff, talking about like men opening up and kind of redefining masculinity and all of that. Oh. And he said, you know, when he does that, all the engagement is from women. And you're like, come on, guys, I know you're there. I know you're lurking, but it's okay. Like, you can that's, chat. It, so. Sometimes that step is just a like or a message or something like that. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Yeah. You know, we'll we'll be posting more about it. So, you know, if you guys are listening to that, go back and kind of reach out to people and people who are doing this and, and make some kind of connection. It doesn't always have to be like, hey, I need help. It can be like, oh, good podcast or good message. And then it can go from there. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to ask a question about this and then that's the conversation then. So, cool. Uh, right, cool. So, yeah, like I say, you got to go. Uh, I've got to get yeah. the dinner. Be Thanks, ready for man, with it. Awesome so, to reconnect and talk more. Yeah, it's always good, man. We always we always get good stuff out on these. So, like we said, if anybody does want to reach out directly to us, you can reach me at Sean at nutri-iq.net and I'll put that link in our show notes as well as Steve's, which is Steven.opolinic at the Promethean Project.org. Cool. Awesome. So that's the end of the show for Nutri IQ Radio for this week. And for break, break the Chains, Find Your Flame. Cool. Nailed the outro. Right. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast, please outreach to us at info at the Promethean Project dot org. If you want to learn more about the Promethean Project or if you would like to donate to our cause, you can reach us at thepromethianproject.org. If you really do enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends. Please like our posts on social media, on Instagram and on Facebook. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to. Again, thank you for taking a listen. And remember that the most important step is always the next one.